to ask permission of the Dalai Lama to climb. He had heard about a place called Rongbuk and hoped he might find an approach there. He'd heard of one who might be able to help him, a woman, another Westerner. Did they know anything about her? The authorities said that they did know her, though they had not seen her in several months. He gave them presents, rubies and sapphires he brought in Jaipur, pearls, a large emerald. In return, they gave him permission to wait for her, for a month. Max had first heard of the woman when he'd arrived in Bombay. Western climbers he'd met there told him of her, an English girl who lived in the shadow of the Himalayas. She'd climbed Kilimanjaro, the Mowenzi Peak, and had lost a leg on Kili in a horrible accident. She'd almost died there. Now, they said, she was photographing and mapping the Himalayas. She was trekking as high as she could, but the difficult climbs were beyond her. She lived among the mountain people now. She was strong like them and had earned their respect and their liking. She did what almost no European could, moved over borders with goodwill, receiving hospitality from Nepalese and Tibetans alike. But how to find her? Rumours abounded. She had been in China and India, but was in Tibet now, some said. No, Burma. No, Afghanistan. She was surveying for the British, spying for the French. She died in an avalanche. She'd gone native. She'd taken a Nepalese husband. She traded horses, yaks, gold. He heard more talk as he made his way northeast across India. In Agra, Kanpur. And then finally he'd found her, in Kathmandu. Or at least he'd found a hut she used. She's in the mountains, a villager told him. She'll come. When? Soon? Soon? Days passed. Then weeks. A month. The Nepalese were growing impatient. They wanted him gone. He asked the villagers again and again when she was coming, and always he was told soon. He thought it must be a ruse by the wily farmer with whom he was staying to get a few more coins out of him. And then she arrived. He'd thought her a Nepalese at first. She was dressed in indigo trousers and a long sheepskin jacket. Her shrewd green eyes were large in her angular face. They assessed him from beneath the furry fringe of her cap. Turquoise beads hung from her neck and dangled from her ears. She wore her hair in a long braid, ornamented with bits of silver and glass, as the native women did. Her face was bronzed by the Himalayan sun. Her body was wiry and strong. She walked with a limp. He found out later that she wore a false leg made of yak bone carved and hollowed for her by a villager. Namaste, she said to him, bowing her head slightly after the farmer had told her what he wanted. Namaste. It was a Nepalese greeting. It meant, the light within me bows to the light within you. He'd told her he wished to hire her to take him into Tibet. She told him she'd just returned from Shigatsur and was tired. 
She would sleep first, then eat, and then they would discuss it. The next day she prepared him a meal of rice and curried mutton with strong black tea. He'd sat with her on the rug-covered floor of her hut and they talked, sharing a pipeful of opium. It killed the pain, she said. He'd thought then that she was referring to her damaged leg, but later he realized that the pain she spoke of went much deeper and the opium she smoked did little to dull it. Sadness enfolded her like a long black cape. He was astonished by the depth and breadth of her knowledge of the Himalayas. She had surveyed, mapped, and photographed more of the range than any Westerner had ever done. She kept herself, by guiding and by publishing papers, on the topography of the mountains for Britain's Royal Geographical Society.